My mind went back to 9-11 as I was looking out over thousands of people on the property. And I remembered back to 9-11 when our community came to this place. And all around our country, people sought refuge in churches. And I wondered why. And I think it's because in those moments, our country was searching for hope. And something deep within them said, the church is the place to find hope. You know that Steve, our lead pastor, always says that the church is the hope of the world. And I think in those moments, people gathered in the church to find hope. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that many of those people aren't here now. Because life went back to normal, didn't it? And I also think that maybe sometimes what uh, those who come in from our community and come into this place and come into churches in our community and around this state and the world find isn't quite what they were looking for. So I'm going to start with a statement. I'm going to make, I want to make a confession this morning as we start so you kind of know where I'm coming from. Here's the confession. Sometimes I am just not sure that Christianity really is life-changing. I was taught it is. I make statements that would give the impression that I think it is. I teach it is. I preach it is. Uh, I tell people it is. I counsel people and tell them that a relationship with God is life-changing. But then I look at those who say that we're believers. And I'm just not sure anymore that Christianity is life-changing. Heresy, you say, call Pastor Steve, get him on the phone. Why is this guy allowed up there anyway? If I was to guess, maybe that thought has entered your mind too. Because you look at your own life and you wonder, isn't this all supposed to be about being different? Being transformed, being changed? let's see if maybe I can explain this a little bit. Here's what the Bible tells us about a relationship with Christ, about Christianity, what it's all supposed to be about. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed. We're being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Bible tells us that God changes lives, that God transforms people. That's what the Bible says. Would you agree with that? That's what the Bible says. The Bible also says in Romans 6.18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves, not to sin, but to righteousness. It's also true that God wants you to live in freedom. The Bible says that we are free from sin. We're slaves now only to righteousness. The Bible also says in 1 John 1.9 that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness one of the foundations of the christian faith is that christ forgives our sin the bible tells us the relationship with god is described as walking in the light john 1 7 says if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son purifies us from how much all sin that's a foundation of the christian faith is it not that we are walking in the light. We are to be walking in the light. 
The Bible also tells us that those who call themselves Christ followers are to live holy lives. Christians are to live victoriously. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's just a basic tenet of the Christian faith that we are to lead holy, victorious lives. It also tells us that those who follow Christ are given abundant life. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have life to its full. Or the King James says, life more abundantly. That's what the Bible tells us is supposed to be what Christianity is all about. That we have changed lives, transformed lives, that we are to live in freedom because we are free from sin. That because Christ has forgiven us, we're described as people who are to be walking in the light. We're to live holy lives and victorious lives and we are to live an abundant full life but here's the deal i run into people all the time christians who are not experiencing that life whose lives are far from abundant they are far from walking in the light they are far from living holy victorious lives they're not free from their sin they're not transformed they're not changed they don't even feel forgiven or believe that they're really forgiven of their sin the life described in scripture isn't theirs and maybe it isn't yours these are people who would say you're believers but this kind of life is not something that you experience on a day-to-day basis so once again i'd say that I'm not convinced that Christianity is really life-changing because what I see in the church today is not abundant living, is not life to the fullest. So that's the only conclusion I can come to, don't you think? Here's what I think happens. Here's why I think this happens. Most of us who are believers here today, we gave our lives to Christ in a very simple way through a very simple prayer. Maybe it sounded something like this. God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins. I accept your forgiveness for my sins. I accept the fact that you can change my life and I want to live for you the rest of my life. Simple prayer, right? And God graciously accepts that prayer and he entered into your life But let's admit it, within us is a battle that begins at that very moment. A battle between what the Bible calls the flesh and the spirit. And while Christ is changing us into a new creation, our old self, you know, the one that's had control, doesn't go down without a fight. Paul calls it the sinful nature in Galatians 5 and tells us that we must choose to live by the spirit. It's a daily choice to live by the Spirit. Yes, we can have the Holy Spirit in us, but it's a daily decision on our part to listen to Him. So as we try and develop our ability to listen, obey, here's what happens. Past sins, former lifestyles, old habits, hurts, and abuse, past relationships create a struggle within us that is unnerving at times. We confessed our sins, so why do we feel like certain ones weren't forgiven well i believe the answer is because our confession 
at the time of coming to Christ was in general. And so our enemy, Satan, is able to get in and convince us that Jesus didn't really forgive that sin or that sin or this one. And you can't even be sure that you really wanted him to forgive that one anyway, can you? And all the while our flesh, our old self, is screaming out for attention. So we give in. And you continue to struggle with the same sins over and over and over and over. We feel and struggle with the same hurts from the past that we've always had. Some of us have even given up on trying to grow spiritually. And I just say that because that's what I've seen. You just give up. We've decided to live a subnormal Christian life and hope for the best. Put on the mask. Really what we're doing is we're living a lie. And we've settled for subpar. And your relationship with Christ is at a standstill. And probably in reality it's backing up. So many of us, maybe the majority of us, have never truly confessed the individual sins and hurts of our past. We've never allowed ourselves to name the hurts of our childhood or the moral failures of our life before Christ. And this leaves us in a secluded, self-protecting world where no one truly knows us and we never feel truly forgiven and free. And in this isolated and impersonal world, everything says, don't be real. If you are, people won't like you. You'll be rejected. Because you're a mess. Don't let people know. And you really can't change anyway. So we end up with confusion and depression and frustration and doubt and fear and isolation and strongholds of sin that never seem to be conquered. Lives that seem to be very far from that relationship of Christianity that we were promised. And as a side note, this affects seekers, those who are trying to determine if they want to begin a relationship with Christ. And maybe some of you are here today. And frankly, you're right that you see nothing in the lives of so-called Christians that you think is real or frankly much different than your life is. And what happens is that this inauthentic living pushes you away from Christ rather than drawing you in. But let me assure you, spiritual seeker, that what you see played out in the lives of many who call themselves Christians is not what a relationship with Christ is supposed to be all about. You see, what's happened is we've created a subpar version of Christianity that no one wants. So here we are. You've given your life to Christ, but all the while in the midst of this inner struggle that each of us deals with, we allow the enemy to tell us lies. Lies like this. I can't tell anybody I'm struggling. A good Christian wouldn't have this problem. If someone else knew what was going on, I'd be humiliated forever. You're just a freak for feeling this way. 
why don't you just see if you can get over it on your own? You shouldn't be affected by your past. That happened when you were a kid. Grow up. Hang on to your addictions. No one wants to help you deal with those. And they'll never understand you anyway. Don't let anyone in the church too close. Smile. Keep up a front. Put on a mask. Look like a Christian. Look like it all makes sense. Be strong. Struggle alone. In secret. In secret. Those are the lies of the enemy. Have you ever heard any of those lies? Those are the lies of the enemy. But let me tell you this morning, what God wants you to hear is what the truth is. Here's what the truth is. Believer, God wants you freed from your sin. He wants you forgiven and free. Forgiven and free. We are to be people who live forgiven, big word, and free. Anybody want that? I think a lot of people outside these walls want that. The second truth is that God wants you to live in real community, a community of trust and confession and prayer. We are to be living in real community. Without these two ingredients, without living forgiven and free and living in real community, you cannot live the abundant life. You just can't. That full life intended for you by God. You can know the Bible, friend, from back to front. But if you don't live what you know, you don't have the abundant life. You've come to the place where you're a Christ follower, but you don't honestly and regularly deal with sin in your life. If you don't do that, you'll never live the abundant life. Never. You may be forgiven, but you are not free. We're called to glorify God through and with our lives. We're called to connect, to connect with the maker of the universe in a dynamic and dependent relationship. We are commanded to connect with other believers and live in real community. We're going to talk about these two aspects, one this week and one next week. Today, I want us to see how we can live as people who are not only forgiven, but free. Anybody interested? I hope so. The Bible calls us to real community, and in that community, we find forgiveness and freedom. The Bible calls it community. And in it is the place that the Bible says you can find freedom. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything, everything that hinders, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This verse reminds us to throw off the hindrances, Throw off the weight of sin, the weight of the past, the weight of hurt, the weight of abuse, the weight of the struggles of this day and the struggles of this moment. Throw off the flesh, throw off the old nature, the old man, whatever you want to call it, throw it off. Now we've got to realize Paul's picture here was of 
the Greek and Roman games where they threw off literally everything. They didn't have no $1,000 Speedo one-key slick thing that went through the water. They didn't even bother with that. Throw off everything, every weight. You know that big boulder that you feel that's holding you back in your relationship with Christ? Throw it off. Genesis 2.18, which is a verse we say, well, this is about Adam and Eve. I think there's maybe another meaning here. The Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's not good that we're alone. The Christian life is not a solo sport. It's a team effort. We are to walk and run in this race together, side by side, sometimes carrying one of our teammates. It's not good that we're alone. And God has placed within your circle people who are made just for you, who are suitable helpers along the way. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We are to spur one another on. How am I to spur you on, to push you forward, to challenge you, to remind you of all that Christ has for you if I don't know you? If I don't know what your struggles are and you don't know what mine are, if I don't know what the hurts of your past have bogged you down and you don't know mine, we cannot spur one another on. We can't say, let's let go of this weight or that weight. And let's do it together. We're to spur one another on. Galatians 6 gives us a way to approach one another when we fall into sin. Isn't that fun? But look what it says. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, important word, not you who are judgmental, not you who like to look down your long bony spiritual nose at other people's issues and think they're worse than yours, Somebody go, mm-hmm. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. Gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted, either by what they're going through or by that spirit of judgment that gets in us. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride, not false pride, but he can take pride in what God's accomplishing in him without comparing himself to somebody else. We like to do that, don't we? We're supposed to carry each other's burdens. We're supposed to restore one another gently into a relationship with Christ. That can only happen if I know you well enough and if you know me well enough to help restore me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, James 5.16, the most disobeyed, unused verse in Scripture in the church today. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Prayers of a righteous person are effective and help heal someone of their sin. See, it's the ability that we have as Christians to when we hear another person's confession, we can confidently say, Christ has forgiven you. Now let's walk 
forward. But there's one we don't apply. So that's what the Bible says that real community is. How we're people who are forgiven and free. But what are we afraid of? Why do we hide? I think there are several reasons why we hide. The first is denial. 1 John 1.8 says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The denial that we, we are even sinful, that we are struggling in an area. So we redefine and we, we, we kind of change the meanings of things and we kind of deny, well, this is just, yeah, it's sin. In Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a statement that says, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I think that's true. It's the secret sins that get us in trouble. Dave Early, the founding pastor of our church, used to say that the most dangerous sin is the secret sin. And when it's secret even to you, so that, so that you deny it, so that I deny that I even have it, and that it's going on in my life, then it becomes very dangerous. Denial, that's why we hide. Second, we hide because of shame. Because of shame. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now how much condemnation? None. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now we dig into the depth of the Greek word for no, and we discover that it means no. No condemnation. None whatsoever. But we live in shame. And the only way we can get over that shame is to connect with people honest about their own issues, their own idols, their own struggles, their own temptations. We need to be around people who we trust and who trust us because we're surrendering our secrets. When shame goes, honesty comes, and we can begin to become close to each other. Denial and shame. And third, judgment. Judgment. I think everybody outside the building who's not in here today would agree with this one because that's what they'll say, right? Well, you're just judgmental. If you're not hypocritical, you're judgmental. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This verse doesn't say don't judge. It just says you better be ready. Because the same judgment you're going to decide you want to judge other people by is exactly what it's going to be used to judge you. We hide because of judgment. Why don't we judge? We're not supposed to judge because we're sinners too. We're sinners too. We have to be ready to put ourselves under authority. The problem is that we've, many of us have been in, never been in a situation where we trusted people around us or we trusted our leadership. We've never experienced functional leadership or a functional body of believers, a functional community. Well, if we are going to be that church, then we are going to have to be a church of no gossip, no half-truths, no manipulation, no forcing for the sake of spiritual experiences or spiritual power, and no shaming. Denial, shame, and judgment. Another reason we hide from being all the Bible says we can be is self-centeredness. Ephesians 5, 21 says to submit one another, to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, men, I know you like the other part of this passage, you know, where the, your wife is to submit to you. That's a good one, right? But this comes 
in that same passage, submit to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But we become self-centered. We just like trying to pull it off on our own. I'll fix this myself. I mean, goodness, I'm an American. I should be able to do it myself. I'm an army of one. You know, honestly, I just don't believe that works. I don't believe it works. I haven't found it in my own life. That when I try to do it on my own, it just does not work. But when I do it with a brother who walks with me and runs this race with me, then I can accomplish. Then I can push forward in my relationship with Christ. Denial, shame, judgment, self-centeredness. And the last thing I, reason I think we hide is out of past hurt. Past hurt. The reality is you say, I d- you did this some point in the past and someone listened. You really tried. And then they talked. Then they told other people. Eh. Or they turned their back on you. Nope. Too much of a freak. Thank you. Too much. Too much information. Thank you very much. Nice knowing you. You tried. It happens. Now that's one of the hurts that has to come before somebody else. To confess that hurt and move on because now it's become another rock in the big bag of rocks that we carry around with us. I would simply say that I am just not willing anymore to live in a Christian community that operates that way. I just That's not the Christian community I want. And I will doggedly put myself out there in order to help the community be what God wants it to be. How about you? I think new life's always been a safe place where people can be real and tell their story and see God transform them. I just want everybody in on it. You know, about three months ago when I felt God kind of putting the, these ideas on me, it became very clear to me that the majority of us sitting in this room today have never experienced this kind of freedom in our Christian walk. But it's going to be risk. Remember Esther? From a couple months back, remember Esther? What did she have to do? She had to take risk. And it's risky. You have to risk being wrong and still be loved. You have to risk being right and not be prideful. It's about risk. Let's stop hiding. Let's just stop hiding. In order to do that, I'm going to suggest two amazing steps for you to consider this morning. In some circles, they're commonly known as two of the steps in most 12-step programs. You say, uh, that's it. Thank you, Pastor Brian. I'm done. I'm not an addict. Don't need AA. Thank you very much. Pop psychology, enough. Now let me just wait. You see, the reason I bring these up is that I see amazing progress in many of those who I know who have had the guts to take these two steps. Not just for their sobriety, but for their spiritual growth. What I'm saying to you as a pastor this morning is if you want to grow in your spiritual walk, these two steps will help you greatly. The first one 
is to take a fearless and searching moral inventory of your life. To search without fear. To allow God to examine. Now it's critical that we not redefine sin. We can't say, well, we know it's bad, but that's my personality. That's how I was raised. It's my parents' fault. Oh, I just, I just, it's just a struggle I have. It's not really sin, it's just a struggle. It's not that bad anyway. We need to allow God to expose the perversion of our thoughts as well as our actions. We must face the damage we've caused to others, those we've used and abused and rejected. We must face our sexual sins, exploits, conquests, seductions, and adulteries, both of the heart and of our behavior. We need to confess false religions that we participated in or had contact with. It should include addictions, our own and even the ones of others that have affected us. That still, whether we know it or not, affect us and affect you today. We need to confess those sins that have taken us to alcohol and drugs and sex and exercise and food and cheating and lying and gossip and perfectionism, judgmental attitudes, manipulation, control issues, people-pleasing, poor work ethics. We could go on and on. Maybe there are those people who have hurt you and you've never forgiven them and whose actions still affect you today and are a weight that keeps you from moving forward in your relationship with Christ. The key is letting God bring these issues to the surface, whether they are in the past or in the present. Now, this is a very introspective task, and you'll need God's help, but that's a good thing, I believe, because I think we can truly learn the depth of Christian humility in this effort. We'll see see in clear detail our total need for the perfection of not us, but Christ and what his perfection can bring. You know, we just honestly, we don't want to see the darkness in innermost cor- corners of our being when we examine ourselves. But it must be done and it must be done thoroughly. Without being searching and fearless, this is a useless task, has little value. Because it's unpleasant to look at ourselves at our worst. But I believe we need to come to grips with our own sin and our own hurt. Now this is not a short nor an easy process. Matter of fact, it could go on for a while. And it should in our Christian lives. It should go on on a regular basis. But I want each of us to start it today. So on the back of your sheet is space to begin your list. Now, couples who took only one bulletin, you better find a piece of paper. We're going to just take these next few minutes and we're going to be quiet. And I'd ask that you ask God to reveal those things that are impeding your relationship with Him. See, that's the key issue. What's between you and God? What is bogging you down? What is holding you back? What is keeping you from being all that you can be in Christ? Ask Him to reveal them to you. These are the things that keep you and me from being completely free. We're going to take just a few minutes and start this list. Now, don't think that this ends. Oh, I did that.
Just hang on. This is just a start, but I want to get us started. That's just two minutes, but this is more than a two-minute process. It's an ongoing process of asking God to reveal these things to us. You can continue to write. Let me share with you the second step, and this is the step where the rubber meets the road. See, as we get real in writing this moral inventory, there's a very important step that's to admit Admit the exact nature of these sins and hurts and attitudes and wrongs to God, to ourselves, and to another person. This is how we can create and truly live in biblical community, I believe. This is what James is telling us in James 5.16, to confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. This is where healing begins. This is where freedom starts. Now this will take humility and trust, won't it? This will mean that we must drop all our pride and all of our masks. We'll mean having the courage to do it well and completely. And we have to be convinced that God will now do in our lives a miraculous work of change. A miraculous work of healing. A miraculous work of transformation. Anybody here desire to see the miraculous once again in the church? This is where it starts. It doesn't start when we play the music louder and faster and jump up and down. It starts when we become a real community. Where we are people who are free. Free. Then we might play the music louder and jump up and down because we're free. But it starts here and it starts in your heart. It starts when we open up our mouths and we share our hurts and our sins with others and they are able to step into our lives and speak these kind of words. Christ forgives you and I forgive you. Now that's link arms and move forward. You see, weights begin to be removed. I believe the weights that are removed are even those that you've carried for so long that you've gotten so used to them that you've forgotten the pain of carrying them. And suddenly this weight can be gone. And Christian, you can run. You have to find a person or persons who you trust implicitly, who are honest in dealing with their sin. They're honest in dealing with their sin too, to share it with them. You're going to have to set aside and make time. Hard for us because this is a comprehensive effort. Then it has to become an ongoing part of, in our lives as believers. Now, I realize that this is a tough sell. I realize this is not, oh, James 5.16, <laughs> wonderful. I want to share with you some thoughts of some men who I know have taken the challenge to live 
in forgiveness and freedom by confessing their sin, their struggles, their hurts to another brother. These are real people experiencing real forgiveness and freedom. Now, they're all men, and here's why I've done that. Because that's who I know. And second, you ladies are great at this, right? You just love sharing your feelings and all that, right? And if I read a bunch of little testimonies from ladies, all the guys would go, well, of course. Ladies, I'll bet there are many of you who are out there this morning and you struggle with this too. And the one thing you've never told anyone is the one thing that is holding you back from a vibrant, free Christian life. So you need to listen too. But these are the stories of men. And men, I hope you get this because when we get this, our families will get this, our groups will get this, our church will get this, our community will get this, and it will change the world. Here are their stories. For the past several months, I've been meeting with a spiritual partner. During our meetings, I've been encouraged to openly, authentically, and with 100% honesty, share what is really going on in my heart and not just to talk about what is pleasant and comfortable. These confessions have been raw and scary at times, but invaluable to my Christian walk. As I come clean about all of my struggles, failures, and insecurities, I not only feel freed and empowered, but I witness someone knowing the depth of my heart and still loving and accepting me as I am. This not only allows me to feel freed and encouraged, but I realize that God sees the inner ugliness of my heart and still loves me and accepts me as I am. Nothing has drawn me closer to the Father but this open confession and ultimate grace. Here's another. When I got with one other person and let them know everything I do in my own personal time, it was like a weight was lifted off my head. I had worked so hard to keep my little sins a secret that it became a burden. When I opened up to someone, that burden was lifted because now nothing is a secret anymore. In reality, nothing ever was a secret because God knew and saw everything about me. Humans are visual and physical, and I needed to be seen by someone to be truly convicted of my secret sins. It is commanded by God that we confess these secret sins to one another. Opening up completely to someone allowed me to build a friendship and an accountability partnership, and most importantly, a closer relationship with God. Here's another. I am a happily married Christ-following father. I had some experiences in my mid-twenties that I thought I had left far behind me. Although I've been happily married for many years, every now and then some of those things left far behind me would surface in my marriage and cause feelings followed by behavior that I couldn't really explain and definitely wasn't proud of. I know that there is no sin that is greater than the forgiveness that we are offered by Jesus Christ. What I didn't know was that sometimes as humans we need to go a step further. Now, this next section, he wrote, I didn't, so, okay? Last spring, I approached Pastor Brian about talking through some of these issues. Now, if you think that the pastors of a big church like New Life don't have time for your problems, you're wrong. I told him about the things from my past, and he helped me understand the feelings that I had buried and why they surfaced periodically in such a negative way. I understand now that although God had long ago forgiven me, We need to go a step further and verbalize our confessions with a trusted friend. I couldn't believe the weight that seemed to be lifted from my shoulders from sharing these things that I had been carrying around for 20 years. 
I realized that I had never verbalized those things, ever. I was recently reminded of Romans chapter 10 that tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Seems to me that there is a lot to be gained from the act of confessing with our mouths. Here's another. The the benefit that has come from confession and admitting my wrongs is that when I tell another person the problem, situation, or circumstance, the sin loses its power. A problem shared is a problem half solved. A sin confessed to God and to another individual is a sin forgiven and that I am free from. I have discovered that I can now start moving into real freedom. I have been freed from the spiritual handcuffs I have on. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm then and do not allow yourselves to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This has happened to me. And I've been able to start unloading all the baggage that weighs me down. I can get counsel and a different perspective from my spiritual mentor. I now have far less anxiety and have been able to focus on my deepening walk with Christ. And then finally, have you ever seen movies where the lead character is in prison and is planning an escape like the Shawshank Redemption with Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman or Escape from Alcatraz with Clint Eastwood? In those films, we feel the frustration that comes with being imprisoned. And a good director will use tight camera shots and extended scenes to help achieve that claustrophobic feeling. And as a viewer, all you want is to see that character in a big open field. It's a huge relief when we see Tim Robbins' character, Andy, standing in the rain with his arms outstretched looking toward the heavens. He's done it. He's escaped. He's free. For two years, I was in prison. I was living with a huge sin. No one in my sphere of influence knew what I'd done, not even my wife. The difference between me and Andy was that I could have gotten out any time I wanted to. I held the key to my cell but was choosing to remain imprisoned by not confessing my sin so that I could move forward. All I had to do was unlock the door. All I had to do was open my mouth. It is my belief that just as a prisoner isn't privy to the joys and blessings of the outside world, Someone who hasn't confessed their sin won't be blessed. If there's anyone who has something in their life that they've been trying to cover up, if there's anyone who has a skeleton in the closet, if there's anyone who wonders why their walk with Christ isn't solid, I believe you already know what you need to do. Confess. It's the most difficult thing I've ever done, but it's also the wisest thing I've ever done. Don't leave this earth knowing you've lived a lie. An omission is a lie. I'm now on the other side of the bars. I'm now on the other side of confession. Take it from someone who has just tried burying the sin. It's so much better over here. God wants you free. We take a moral inventory. And then we take the time to honestly and openly and fully confess to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the nature, the complete depth and nature of our wrongs and our hurts and of our burdens. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you're here today and this picture of What Christianity is all about is what you've been looking for. You don't quite understand it all. 
But I want to remind you that if you're a seeker here today that doesn't know Christ, you can truly know that Christ can free you from your sin and from your past when you confess him as Lord. So rather than look at how people have messed it up, take a step of faith today and begin a relationship with him. I'm going to ask a couple of our leaders to stand right here at the front, maybe one or two on each side. And if that's your desire this morning, we're going to give you the opportunity to come and meet one of these leaders at the front, and they'll share with you how to begin that relationship with Christ today. Need like one or two on each side. Up at the altar here. I'd encourage you to come. For others of us, We've started this moral inventory, but the next step is harder, the confession of hidden sin, of sharing our hurts. But I think that it'll build within us a greater sense of freedom in our walk with Christ as we take these steps. Earlier I said that I was unwilling to live in a community that operated in a different way than being honest about who we are and what's going on in our lives. And so as we begin to sing, I'd ask you that if you're willing to join me in that commitment of stepping into this step of of being honest, of being free, of living in community to all its fullness, I'm going to ask that as we stand and sing that you come and just kneel here at this altar and tell God, I'll be part of this team. I want to be part of that community. That's the kind of community I want. Let it start with me.